This is the Lean Construction Blogs Podcast, a podcast dedicated to stories, case studies, and lessons learned of applying lean construction from around the world. Join Dick Beyer as he interviews industry leaders, lean construction practitioners, and subject matter experts to help you improve the build environment in general and your design and construction projects in particular, advance your lean journey, and bring your continuous improvement efforts to the next level. Let's get started. Uh, this is the LeanConstructionBlog.com podcast with, voila, moi, Dick Beyer. We have a catchy little uh, opening that uh, inspires everybody. So today we're going to embark on another one of our stories, keeping the legends of, uh, of our community um, front and center for everybody to meet and to talk. To. Um, and continuing on with the series of firsts that I have uh, started in this tradition, the very first guy that I ever met who is completely passionate, and I might say it's a little bit on the on the crazy side about lean, was a guy I was sitting in a lean construction institute community of practice in Northern California, which I think is community of practice number one, at a Fairfield Inn in Fairfield, of all places. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting next to, I think, uh, Bill Proctor or maybe Dan Fauché or one of my buddies. And all of a sudden, this guy comes almost leaping into the room with enthusiasm and says, all right, we're going to start this meeting with tell us what your lean moment was today. And that guy I am so happy to have with us today is George Zettel. Hey, George. Hey, Dick. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thanks for. Uh, I think I think that event was in two thousand and eight, wow. and if you think about it, that's you know thirteen years ago. Yes, and you were kind enough uh, to really take us all under your wing and and uh, with your enthusiasm, uh, get lots of people involved in the uh, in the community, and you were a regular visitor at the at the CPR. So yes, I catch you as a CPR veteran. The, the prisoner receiver uh, program. Yes, up in Sacramento. Yes. Um, but people probably don't know so much about your background and your history. So where'd you grow up and uh, where'd you get educated and how did you how did you stumble mm-hmm. into the construction industry? Yeah, well, I, I grew up in a little town called Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. And when you say Wisconsin, you always got to put your hand up. And so Sturgeon okay. Bay is right on the thumb that sticks out in Lake Michigan. Where's Where's Green Bay? Green Bay is right in the notch. Right oh, there. okay. There you go. Uh, Green Bay. <laughs> Milwaukee is down here. Awesome. And then uh, Chicago, et cetera. So uh, basically, my dad was a general contractor. Oh, wow. And uh, I grew up, so he grew up on a farm. And then uh, some... Uh, U.S. Army people drove up the farm driveway uh, mm-hmm. during World War II and told my grandma that her four sons needed to come and join the service. Wow. And uh, she was uh, crying and said, you can't have all four of my sons. She was a, a widower at the time. Um, so her husband had passed away. So she was the four boys were basically running the farm and uh, she, they, they said to her, well, you can keep one. (laughs) (laughs) 
So imagine the weight on her shoulders that she had to pick. Oh my goodness. She basically picked my dad. Well, the caveat they didn't tell her is that he could stay at home. However, he had to go to service at the shipyard. So Sturgeon Bay was building ships mm. at the time. And so he basically went to work as a, what they call a fitter. So because of the steel shortages, they basically made everything up as a mock-up, Dick. Wow. They would mock everything up with plywood before they would take that expensive steel and carve it into the ships that they would build. And so uh, he learned the carpentry trade and really his first dive into construction uh, in the shipyard. I learned later that he was actually a student of what they call training within industry. So you know, time, I was just going to ask you that if he was part yes, of the CWI group. I, I was shocked uh, because I, I had a colleague, basically, he brought out a roster that showed how that particular yard had a quota from the war department of how many welders, how many carpenters. And, and my dad was, you know, in that group that was getting the training. So if, if, you're never, new to the, if you're new to the lean community, you may not know that training within industry was really the precursor to the whole total quality management. Standard work. We call it standard, standard work, work nowadays. Training yes. within industry was uh, right at the heart yes. of Yes. of that very early work. So your dad so was one he, of those guys. That's cool. So he was coached that way. And and the how I actually encountered the application of it was I actually became an apprentice. I mean, I, wow. and then loading trucks every weekend and, uh, and all that stuff that we always had chores to do. Uh, but eventually I became an apprentice, carpenter apprentice. And uh, with the union? Uh, it was, we were a merit shop. We were non-union, but okay. the union, the union from Green Bay basically was uh, trained the carpenters for the Sturgeon Bay area. And, uh, you know, getting all your nails so that the nail heads were ready to just get hit by your hammer. Yeah. That was a, a, a standard work that you had to, you know, dig in your bag and get all your nails in order so that they, you just had to swing. And it was little things like that, that, you know, he always had made sure that you were making things ready for the operation, whether it was framing or so learning wow. all of the motion, you know, like, Hey, don't be wasting motion. This is how the, you hold the trowel. This is how you butter the brick and this is how you lay it. And, yes. yeah, and awesome. I can make the gutter <laughs> Okay, <laughs> on, a, well, on, a, on a bending and, uh, machine <laughs> and all our, and I opted for a junior college. So I went to, uh, a junior college for architecture and drafting. And I found out there that I actually loved applied mathematics. So that I had wanted to go to engineering school. So that spirit jumped me into engineering school uh, for civil engineering and construction. I had a great mentor. Uh, my wife actually, you know, worked me through school as I, uh, we were married at the time. That's how I got to California. I was a owner's rep, uh, so I actually sat as a facility director for Intel Corporation. You know, these are all a, these are all big owners in our community, right? Between yes, Intel yes. and the uh, yes. And the, John, I remember telling my story with John Pemberton. You know, um, as Intel was starting their lean journey, I, I would say, well, that is a huge culture change from 
in the days when I was at Intel. So what year was that about? Did you went to work for Turner? Uh, that was uh, 2003. 2003. Oh, okay. So you'd been with them about five years. You had, you were there just long enough to hook up with the Chris Pekacek, right? Yes, Chris Pekacek was a young brilliant. Them. Yeah, he was a crazy man. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, since we're coming up on Memorial Day, a veteran. Yes, he's got a better his own business in Sacramento now. Yeah, the 9-11 story was very, very close to his his fraternity brothers at Brown, one of your customers. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to try to get him on here because he's got a great story as well. He has a great story. And he's one of those big thinkers. He's a very Um, big thinker, very intelligent and uh, influential with respect to nudging Turner into building information modeling. Four was really my first lean meeting. I remember it was the the meeting. It was uh, uh, October the 10th, no, December the 10th, I'm sorry, December the 10th, 2004. And there was a a crazy attorney up there talking about relational contracting (laughs) and that he was going to write a, a new relational contract uh, for his customer Sutter at the time. And so that was my first meeting. First time I met Greg. And, uh, and that crazy attorney was Will Lichtig, right? Yeah. The crazy attorney is Will Lichtig. <laughs> so what motivated was, you to even go to that meeting? Turner had about 2 billion of Sutter's 6 billion work at the time. And Sutter said, you know, all your competitors have some account executive and lean champion. And we need Turner to have one of those. So I was minding my own business. I was <laughs> doing project director. I was a project director in Turner. I had done business development for Turner. So I was kind of a closer doer. I was off working on some projects and uh, I got called into the office. You know, that's always a good sign, yeah, right? Bring your playbook. Whoops. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> said uh, the we really uh, think we need your help uh, because of your background from Intel. I said, well, my background at Intel, um, what does that mean? Well, he said, well, you did all that continuous improvement stuff at Intel, right? I said, well, yeah, that was one of our values is continuous improvement, customer results and all that fun stuff. All the things that you would wear a badge to remind you (laughs) that you you did those things. And uh, just just in case you forgot, right? Yes, yes, yes. And um, so he said, well, we need somebody that's going to do this lean stuff. And uh, lean, I mean, <laughs> Intel, Intel did not use that term. But he, when he said continuous improvement, he, I go, oh, OK, I, I see what you're talking about. That stuff. So that is how I got into lean. It was just like, hey, we want you to go figure this out for uh, our Sutter projects. Well, they apparently I mean, found the right guy because you uh, wow, you took wow. to it like a duck to water, my friend. It just feel, felt so natural um, as far as because I always was tinkering to try to improve things in whatever I was doing um, and wherever I was doing it. And um, basically they said, OK, you have to go to this meeting. This is the first meeting. And then you're going to meet some people there. And uh, you're going to meet the customer. And most importantly, you're going to meet the coaches that uh, the customer promised, you know, that you would have coaches. 
And so I started getting emails from Greg Howell and <laughs> and uh, Glenn Ballard and Hal Maycumber at the time, you know, looking forward to meet me. They said, okay, well, uh, your coach is going to be Roberto Sharon. So <laughs> I, I made an arrangement to meet him in San Francisco because we basically had projects in the Sacramento Valley. You know, the expectation was that I had to first go and see. So that was interesting that I didn't really understand the term at, at the time. Right. But I needed to go to those jobs because we actually had a coach and he was coaching the team on the last planner system. It wasn't Roberto. And uh, that's where we, I, so I basically would go from job to job to see how they were doing and what they were doing so that I would understand it and then get coached on it and all of that stuff. And, and one of Sutter's problems, why they wanted, they had to do things so totally different than what they had been doing is that their reputation was not very good in the construction workplace. So contractors really didn't choose to work there. Sutter was trying to change that with this approach to, to lean. What happened is because it was so busy, two Turner people left to start their own company at the same time. So I raised my hand. I said, okay, these two people left. I'm going to jump in their shoes and then learn lean as I coach, as I get coached and coach my staff and uh, so that at least on that particular project, I had some operational responsibilities. And then in my spare time, then I would go to the other Sutter jobs and work to figure out how to move them along. And then I experienced the uh, the uh, owner-contractor meeting in with a lean fashion as far as getting coached on using the last planner system and the constraint log and what the constraint log meant and measuring percent plan complete. And uh, it was just revolutionary. And I, I remember Mono Nickerson was my partner in crime on that particular project from wow. Boulder Associates. Right. And David Long was our customer. So and, lots of uh, legendary names in the legendary names, early adopters and uh, practitioners to actually deliver jobs. Right. And uh I remember having fun at an OAC. <laughs> Which so, when you went home and told your wife, she said, you promised never to lie to me, yeah, George. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it was like, pinch me. We, right. were, have, we were having fun. And uh, we finished that particular job like two months earlier than the GMP. Um, however, we saw that. And we had a superintendent who had a reputation in Turner. Again, another giant, John Jones. We did the respect. We did the retrospective at the end of the job. Right. John stood up and he said, "I just have to share with you all that this is the first job." And he had been a Turner superintendent since he was a, car- a carpenter, so he came up through the ranks in the Bay Area. Lots of big jobs on his resume, and he could get it done. And uh, he said, I want you to know that this is the first job that I got to the end of the project. And I like the architect. <laughs> well, it, it's I mean, a that, game changer, that was, you know. That was, how, that was how different it, it was for all of us that were involved. And uh, well, what, what's funny, I think, is that, you know, you have retained that enthusiasm that was sparked, obviously, on, on that project and in the early times. Yeah. About uh, you know, helping people understand that this is a new way of doing 
doing work, a new way of, yeah. of, of yeah. actually managing people so that they're as uh, not only productive, but as motivated as they are, because a, a really good work is that it just empowers you, you know, it yes. makes you feel fulfilled. Yes. And, and yes. a lot of what we do is to show people the value that work can have. <laughs> because yes. yes. Sometimes yes. it's so horrible. <laughs> it is, it is gut wrenching. And there are stories that came out of there. So one of the crisis was, uh, they we had been doing phase pool planning. They actually brought the casework contractor, having me from uh, from Southern Oregon, um, and so the casework contractor uh, was involved in a pool plan and knew when we expected to have their boxes delivered and stuff like that. The, the John took me to the pool plan and. Um, Mario Mazzi was the engineer and they said, yeah, we talked about this and I get this call from John. He said, I'm not getting my casework. I'm not getting any cabinets. And uh, so he's, he's escalating, you know, asking this, the chain of command to go talk to the owner of the casework contractor. And so I called up our, our supplier and said, what's going on? He goes, well, I'm, I'm waiting to fill a truck. That was his response. Yeah. It was so matter of fact that, that, we, that he was expecting the call to be over. Right. And I said, waiting to fill the truck. What do you, what do you mean? Fill? Well, I'm not running all the way into California from Oregon with, with a, with a small truck. I'm, I've got all your cabinets and all that stuff. And we'll, we're going to show up with a big truck. And I said, you know, I wasn't at the pool plan meeting. However, I, I saw the pull plan and I see that you promised to be making deliveries. We were nervous because you had to have the bases in order to put the plumbing in. And the, if the plumbers weren't busy, they were going to leave and there was no guarantee we'd get them back. And uh, I just tried to lay that out to the owner of the casework. And I said, you know, I'd like to come up to your shop. I said, first of all, we need small truckloads and we will pay the difference and we'll settle this if it costs us money later. However, we were in a bind. And so I was investing in bobtail deliveries to keep the plumbers there and to avoid a back charge from the plumbers. And this is this is a classic big batch story, right? Yes. This yes. Is what... and, and, and I was thrown into that, you know, just like poof. Right. And, yeah. and it's something that you had to solve. And so what, what's, what's funny, you know, Will used to always say it, you, you have a choice of being a hopeless victim of fate or actually doing mm-hmm. something about it. And you just yeah. grab the bull by the horns yes. or the small panel truck by the horns. And, yeah. Bob, Bob <laughs> and said, let's go. Yeah. And, and so I, I think that we have seen we've seen the evolution of caseworkers and mill workers and lighting suppliers and things where they have gone to smaller trucks yes. to be able to meet commitments. Yes. Well, they understand what's in it for them. Right. I mean, they, they were getting more cash sooner, even though they were paying a premium for delivery, they were getting their cash sooner. Right. So why wouldn't you do that? The old school thinking was, was contrary to that. And that is still a, that is still an unnatural conversation coast to coast. Well, and it happens in every aspect of our industry, right? I mean, it happens in design, the whole SD, DD, and CD cycle. It could be more big batch wasteful than that. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Uh, so, so that was some of the early stories that uh, really drove this passion that you're talking about, because I mean, I actually went up and played the airplane game with the casework contractor. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so that he could feel you the needed difference. a small truck to carry that thing with you. <laughs> uh, exactly. Exactly. He said, you know, uh, I didn't understand what you were going to talk about today, but I brought one of my f- golfing friends and he said, I was out golfing with him and I told him that you were coming up and you were going to do this talk on lean. And his eyes lit up and he got all <laughs> dancing on the golf course because somebody else was talking about lean because he had just applied lean thinking in his shop. And the cabinet guy goes, what? You doing this lean stuff in your shop? And uh, he actually had that guy come and sit in uh, in our exercise to share some of the things because, you know, he asked, he asked me, uh, Craig was his name. He asked me what he needed to do next. I said, you need to send some of your leads to this. The casework uh, industry was having a conference in Las Vegas and they were having lean lean conversations with respect to what does a casework contractor do with lean? If I would have known Paul Akers at the time, I would have hooked <laughs> him up with Paul Akers. So the long story short, like I said, we finished the job early. However, we had to do these kinds of things. So, so at some um, point so, so. you became uh, regionally known or nationally known inside of Turner. I mean, at some yeah. point your, yeah. so that, your reputation that happened. began to grow. Yeah, that happened on that that job because basically I saw the difference and I felt the difference and my staff felt the difference and they could have gone on any glamorous job in the region and they didn't want to go uh, because of how this job was running. And so I asked uh, Tom Jordan was a project engineer helping us and he was connected nationally and I asked, I had sidebar with him. I said, you know, this is really different and it, it's working really well. How do I share this with somebody at headquarters so that they're at least aware of it? I, I, I didn't have any, any notion that they would ever do it, but I wanted them to at least be aware that there's this thing different called last planner system, for example. So he introduced me to Ed McNeil Ed McNeil was the vice president and opera, uh, construction operations for the whole company. Wow. And I, uh, Tom said, you're going to, you're just going to have 30 minutes. So it took I used 30 minutes to introduce myself. Ed was a senior executive. He was on the East coast. I, I just had this vision of, you know, the definition of a New York minute, you know, right. So I gave my spiel and uh, he said, I'm going to send two lieutenants to Sacramento. You walk there, you walk them through your job. You let them talk to your staff and then go and have dinner. And if they think it's worthwhile, they'll call me after dinner. I was going to drop them off at the hotel and we were sitting in the car on the speakerphone calling in. And they said, we have to do this. However, everything we saw and heard we have to do it in other parts of the country, and we have to have senior Turner people and junior Turner people involved. And so Ed says, okay, I've got two projects. They're on my dashboard. 
So that meant they were very important. Both of them were in Florida. They said, uh, let's figure out how we coach those Florida jobs. And sure enough, that's what we did. And that, so we basically said, it can't be a California idea. Well, you remember Sam Moses saying, my boss told me some California lawyer was going to teach me how to pour <laughs> concrete. I said, <laughs> yeah, I, I heard Moses say that, tell that story <laughs> with, with the uh, great, uh, great uh, dynamics added in. Um, yeah. He's a great guy. So, so did you go to Florida and start yes. coaching people up? All right. So that began yes. your kind of national. So that, tour. so that, so I, I had to get a job number. And so I got job numbers. We were on the Miami Intermodal Center. What was awesome is that Roberto lived in Miami. So we actually switched roles where he (laughs) was the boots on the ground and I was the visitor. And we gave workshops, ran the the airplane exercise in the Wyndham Hotel next to the Miami Intermodal. We could look out and see the piers and piling and the operation that was going on, it had started uh, without blast planner system that uh, the superintendent, T.J. Mitzer, and I were on a speaker presenting at the International Lean Conference in Karlsruhe. And we were presenting on our use of the lean and the last planner system on a public works job in Florida. <laughs> we doubled we doubled the work in place, you know, in two months' time um, by managing Last Planner. And that and that is also where we had the first collaboration with Dave McNeil, another giant, and he ought to be on your uh, your speaker. Yeah, list. no, he's he's on the list of uh yeah of guys. Yeah. Because he was with Baker at the time, and Baker right. was our concrete supplier at that big Miami Air Mobile Center job, and they had that was really kind of lightning in a bottle. And uh, that really spurred some other development because we had just won a job with uh, Harris in Cherokee, North Carolina. Mm. And they asked us to build a hotel. And if we did a good job on the hotel, then maybe we would get a chance to expand the casino. So we basically had these people from Cherokee, North Carolina, the team that was going to be on that would basically go to Miami and they would shadow everybody on that job and see what this last planner system was. And, you know, they were shocked. And uh, I remember getting in and out of a meeting or whatever, and I got a message on my phone from Ed McNeil because Ed, since those were dashboard jobs, Ed would have to physically go travel there. He had typed in the subject heading "outstanding." That's what nice. that's what he put in the title. Yeah. So I open up the email. It's outstanding. The stuff I see happening with this last planner system. We're planning for quality, which was a challenge, right? And we're planning for safety. What was great about um, about that is that you then began to bounce around the country to various yeah. Turner offices. Yes. And I, th- I think we've had, you know, I, I've always used um, your journey as one of those great stories about when you have a national presence and all construction is local, how do you begin to kind of standardize and get these these processes into those various, you know, very right. successful, very protective offices like Dallas and Chicago and New yes. York. And, you know, I worked yes. with... 
and uh, Washington, D.C. I worked with Turner folks in all of those places. Yes. I know that there's more or less adaptation. <laughs> Tell us about that challenge. That Because you're, you're well, really part of an international, I mean, I don't know if people know that yes. you're really part of a giant international conglomerate. Yes. No, Just you and so is Turner. <laughs> yes. Hope, Hope Teeth. Uh, yep. I actually started collaborating with a Hope Teeth peer with respect to Lean. Because they were getting schooled by Mercedes Benz. Right. Which was a client in Germany and others. And Todd Zabel was there. He was already working for Mercedes. (laughs) Wow, that's awesome. At that point in time. Yeah. So so anyway, you started evangelizing um, not only in LCI. I mean, you were on the board of directors at LCI. Yes. Uh, when you were one, you were one of the few legitimate ones. When, um, despite the fact that I had been a consultant, we didn't want any consultants on the board of directors, yes. and we needed to get people whose whose day job depended on the success of Lean. Yes, which I think was really a, was a was a great moment yeah. in uh, yeah. in LCI history. I think it really helped us turn the the yeah. ship and really grow the company. But you were uh, an enthusiastic member of the board of directors that supported that move as well. Yes, I think we were being informed on the growth, you know, that we we need to make make a transition because of the growth, because of what was happening with the communities of practice. And I think that was one of the highlights. I mean, yeah, you helped me and Victor. Uh, we co-authored the community of practice standards guidelines, and so we uh, because people were coming just like you came to that community of practice meeting in Fairfield, we had people coming from Seattle and Portland and Los Angeles and San Diego, and people were coming there and they saw the dynamics that were happening. And it wasn't just because of this crazy guy running around with a microphone. Um, you know, uh, Is that I, you or me? <laughs> yes. It could be either one of us. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, we we worked hard to share the roles. Well, that night in Fairfield was really what what led me to believe that community practice development had to be one of those five pillars of what we were trying mm-hmm. to do at LCI, and I think it's been tremendously yes. successful. I think it's, it was also good to 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 move away from making communities of practice a financial resource for yes. the mothership. Yes. And to let them go on their own. And I think that was a, a huge part of those standards. Yes. Yes. Uh, that was a big decision. Yeah, there was. There was. And and I think uh that's what f- kind of fueled us and gave us confidence because we saw the growth that was happening organically in the COPs. And it started we started to have, you know, uh Jessica and the Southland Industries uh, people you know, started to pop up in multiple geographies and Victor's vision of having a robust COP in every one of the biggest markets in North America, you know, was also uh, visionary because we could go to Dallas and we could go to Los Angeles and San Diego. And, and, uh, and we did. Yeah. It was that funny was in my, right. in my annual report, when I was the, the executive director, you remember I had these little bubbles and the first year we had like two bubbles <laughs> mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. we had, we began to grow those. And when I left in 2013, I think we had 40 some odd active COPs yes. around the country, which was great. Yes. Yes. Well, and, and so those COPs were ways that, uh, you know, you talked about how, how did this go throughout Turner and all these different geographies back to your question is 
um, we used those COPs as the mechanism to ensure we had leadership involved from those big offices. So um, I remember doing that for Los Angeles, San Diego, Dallas. You know, one of the people at the time, uh, Abrar Sharif, um, was the vice president in Dallas at the time. I said, this is important. It needs to have a, a level like yourself. Now he's a senior vice president of Turner International. And some of the things that we're running in Canada run through, you know, his lens. And he's he's been a lean on a lean journey himself, saw the value of that. And then the same thing happened in Washington, D.C. That was also thanks to Southland Industries. We got the community practice stood up there because we were working together on the Ford Belver job. You know, that was key. Um, And you guys got the New York community practice. I remember Bob Barrett helping us with that a lot. Yeah, Jim. Jim. Or Jim Barrett, Barrett, sorry. Bob Barrett's a a mediator in in San Francisco. Jim Barrett, yeah. He was was kind of my go-to guy when we were a little skinny on cash at LCI. He was a terrific... uh, Yeah, no, and he he was leading the BIM effort, but, uh, you know, it was clear that Lean needed the level of leadership that Jim brought. So Ed McNeil and Jim basically teamed up uh, we tried to figure out what did we need to do for some internal coaching and development. We tried to find as many like-minded people that we could coach. And then they became trained the trainers. And uh, it really was a false start because we didn't have the field support with coaching needed. Yeah. And there were, there were limited coaching resources back in the day. Yes, there were. Yes, there were. And we, we hired many of them and uh, they were working in many geographies uh, at the same time. And that was kind of the method to the madness for trying to standardize the last planner system. We, you know, we tried to have the consultants be coaching things the same way, using the same terminology. That was a challenge. Uh, In between times, there was some really big jobs that became showcases or we call them learning laboratories. I think right. that was a, a great howlism. Uh, you know, you need these learning labs. And so we started getting more of those. Some of the first ones were uh, in Temecula and yeah, that, brought a lot of people to that job. And then that spun off some, some jobs and people would go to those jobs. We had some jobs up in Seattle and uh, we would send Turner people would go and travel to see the difference on those jobs. We had one in middle Tennessee on a uh, St. Joseph hospital job. It's kind of one of the first ones they started using design assist based on some of the Sutter models that we were doing. So what Turner uh, did with with you is they started moving you around the country as well, right? I don't know if you initiated that, but I know you moved down to Orange County and then you moved to to beautiful Colorado. Hold a second. (laughs) Yes, he'd rather be in Colorado. Anyway, you went from Colorado to Nashville, for goodness sake. So now you're the uh, the North American lean evangelist for the, the Turner crew. Yes, and I, I actually work for headquarters. Here, and we've gotten together up here in Canada a few times. Yes. Uh, which has been awesome. So as, as you've grown this up, there must be some of uh, some favorite projects in your mind, and then there must be some some challenging ones. So as you think back, I mean, one of the, obviously at the heart of the lean community has been 
uh, Sutter Health and then the Temecula Hospital, which you guys really allowed LCI and the lean community to, to use as a learning laboratory. And I remember going down there. And But other than those kind of usual suspects, do you have one that's kind of under the radar that's, you know, this was like my favorite project. There was a Amgen. Mm. So working with Eric there, we basically. Yeah, in uh, Thousand Oaks. Eh? Thousand Oaks. And we were doing uh, some labs and things and, uh, for them. And uh, again, he was on a, his own lean journey and he was trying to transform their delivery method. So I, I actually remember sitting down with him and we wrote the A3 problem statement in order to switch to integrated project delivery. Wow. And, and he was uh, getting uh, advice from Bill Seed, who had been working on that on the other projects with Turner and others at the time around the country. And how do you have a multiple uh, how do you do the lean in a program setting? Because uh, Amgen was trying to do it there. And um, and so that was an important uh, project for us. We also had some things going on with Baxter, which actually formed some of our staff. I mean, some of the staff that were on the Amgen and Baxter jobs, you know, our, our heavyweights uh, in Turner. In fact, one of them, was a senior superintendent and now he's a regional lean manager. Wow. You imagine that? That's fantastic. You know, and uh, so Gary Silver, I mean, it must be hard for him to go into the trailer and not go, oh my God, let's fix this thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I went to his trailer the first time, he said, get out of my trailer and take your stickies with you. Oh, I remember going down and doing a job for Brassfield at uh, Birmingham Hospital that had been taken over as part of a Ponzi scheme. So the FBI took over Health South mm-hmm. and they were reopening this hospital had been shut for 10 years and never operated. So they're reopening this thing and it's in Birmingham. So they didn't have air conditioning running and they have to take all the walls out, get all the mold out. Mm-hmm. And Larry was the superintendent. And I came in there and I said, hey, Larry, I'm the guy that's here to do the last planner. And, and he just wouldn't talk to me. So I'm out there in the room and I'm talking to these guys and they're either wearing a backwards Alabama hat or a backwards Auburn hat. I mean, it was clear that the room was divided up and they were pretty old. You know, they're, you know, they're our age. So these are guys that I, you know, these are veterans in the field that you really right. like to hang right. out with. Um, and it was the same kind of Sam Moses thing, you know, here's some California guy telling us how to do stuff. Um, and we got through the make a card game and there was hooping and hollering and people were jumping up and down. Larry's poking his head out of his office. Going, What's going on out there? And by the time we got done with a phase plan where we had shaved about six weeks off of a 23 work program of work, right, Larry came right. out and he said, now, Dick. You know, this is how I've always delivered my schedule. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yeah, it's like that 12-hour transition of the guy behind the curtain, you know? Right. Um, So I can imagine that your superintendent was... uh, So that's that's one example. The Illumina job in San Francisco, but there was a a hospital in the mid-Atlantic that was really uh, a big tipping point for Turner. And... uh, so at the time, Kurt Gavalier uh, was the national lean person. And, and so he asked me to come and help coach this uh, hospital job. And uh, he was coaching there. 
and I would go and visit this job. It was a lump sum job. So the owner had no clue what lean was, had no idea what last planner was, but our project executive was Joe Kranz at the time. And he, and he was the one who helped me start, stand up the community of practice in the greater Washington, D.C. area. He was a huge practitioner and a believer, and he got his, he invested in it for the team. And so we actually did multi-trade racking on a lump sum in order to seize the schedule opportunity and improve our delivery and all that, all the quality that goes into the multi trade racking and all that stuff. And, and, and uh, the safety of guys not working at elevation. Safety, working in a shop instead of in the field. It was amazing. So we said, uh, so Jim Barrett and, and Kurt and the group were trying to figure out, okay, we need to get our executive team to understand. Everyone saw what was happening with this go and see mo- movement where they'd go to Temecula, they'd go to these other learning lab jobs. And we said, well, you know, we should rotate where the executive leaders have their meetings and then go tour these jobs. Uh, And we would coach that up. And I remember our Peter Davern was our president CEO. And he, uh, this was relayed to me that he was grilling the superintendent (laughs) on this hospital job. He goes, what do you mean you're doing this lean stuff and the owner didn't even ask us for it? Because at the time, that's what lean was, is you only do it when the owner asks you to. Right. And so here's this superintendent, you know, with the president of the company. Uh, no, I would never do a job in, in, in another way. I want to do this last planner system on every job going forward that I work on, regardless of what the owner says. And so it was, that was a huge tipping point because again, we had to break this mold that lean was just something when we did when clients asked for it. And uh, so that spurred Peter to say, okay, and own getting lean, getting our lean journey accelerated. When you see uh, it's making a difference in the marketplace, you know, and the owners want it, you you better be prepared for it, right? Yes, yes. I mean, it, it's it, funny what, what you said about the uh, um, about our partners, you know, and about your superintendent, because I remember in Dallas, uh, I got called into three or four different jobs that trades who had been on a previous job were on, mm-hmm. and they were going to pay for the lean services, whether the GC paid for it or not, Yes, because yes. it made their jobs much yes. more reliable. Much, I think, yes. I think that's what they loved about it was the reliability. No, no, we had those conversations with people like Southland, like people like Rosenden. They said, look, yeah. are you going to do lean on this job? I mean, even our estimating people had to get educated because a lot of times the trades would call the bid department and they'd say, who's the superintendent? Right. Okay, that was the number one question. Who's going to be the Turner superintendent? And all of a sudden, there's this transformation. With well, are you going to do lean on this job? Will you lose right. use the last planner system on this job? And uh, granted, that does not happen uh, every single day like the other call does. Um, however, it's happening more and more around the country, where they have to say, "Oh, oh, we better figure what this stuff is," you know, because well, trades know it's a competitive advantage for them if they've done it before. Yes. 
yes. and and especially on a lump sum award, they yes. can take a chance at a lower number because they know that it's much more likely to happen, right? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. There were people started attending the Lean Construction Institute meetings with me. So uh, Brad Ritchie was like one of the first uh, early adopters. You know, there were executive meetings in Las Vegas. And one of the Cincinnati VPs said, what is Turner's policy about lean? And the person on the stage said, well, we do green uh, all over the place. (laughs) He thought he said lean. Yeah, people misunderstand it. It's almost like you have to spell it out, right? Spell it. And so we we had this happen in our own company that, oh, well, why should I care about this lean stuff? And so they'd call me up and they'd go send me into the lion's den with with these executives. (laughs) Say, why should I care about this? And uh, I mean, all the while, Dick, I made a lot of mistakes myself. and uh, so, you know, Turner uh, saw the uh, opportunity the, uh, for the value and they also coached me. So some of my own lean journey uh, changed. I mean, the Lean Enterprise Institute, for example, right, was very influential in the coaches that we had and the partnership that we had with the Lean Enterprise Institute. Uh, then I got my own coaching. Some of the big takeaways uh, was... Uh, accepting people where they're at or starting with them where they're at. Well, what's Um, funny, I think, is that there's so many of these. um, I've learned like you that you always have the passion. There's times to preach and there's time to build. You've got to be capable of knowing the difference. I do not think that we are trained to listen. Pardon me? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know, with respect to the skill of listening, when we talk about lean and study action teams, you know, listening to understand instead of listening to respond. I mean, that is a hard thing to work at, and and I needed to work on that a lot. Well, Um, it's a real discipline. I know that I was at at one of our projects I'm sitting on the core team because I believe that rather than being a consultant, I want to be a partner. You know, I want to be on on these projects. And at this last meeting, we'd had one of these trust building sessions, right? And I was thinking about exactly what you're saying. So I wrote down the six things I wanted to talk to. And I just waited until everybody had said their piece. Mm -hmm. And I came back to those six things. And somebody said, on uh, number two, well, you should have brought that up at the time. That, that was a great point. Why didn't you raise it? I was trying to be respectful. And they said, well, that's not you. <laughs> we didn't bring you here to be respectful. We're not, we're not paying you all that money to be respectful. <laughs> well, and so you were role modeling. I got this from the Lean Enterprise Institute. The guy says, okay, everybody touch your chin. Yeah. <laughs> and you'd look at the audience and they'd make fools out of everybody because nobody had their chin because they would watch. It wasn't what I said. I said, chin, isn't that down here? Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's so big on me. It's like a Uh, gorilla dribbling the basketball that comes in. Oh, yes. You're trying to jump. Yeah. You know, our, our, our goal towards continuous improvement. I don't think people understand how seriously we actually take that. That we do mean continuous, which mm-hmm. means all the time. All the and time. we do mean improvement, which is never sitting still, you know, never standing still for something. 
Correct. even though you have to take people kind of where they are. So, so what's ahead for you in the community and what do you see your role going forward? I mean, you're a senior spokesman. You've been, you know, at the hub of, of a great transformation at Turner. You've, you've been up into Canada helping coach teams up and trying to get a presence up here, which I've, you know, really supported and admired. What's, what's next for George? Well, it's it's really more of the same as far as multiplying my experiences and what's possible when we do things differently. So um, I'm one of a, f- a few uh, working nationally on uh, coaching and, and development programs uh, where we actually bring people in for a week of coaching and, and training specifically on the, the things around lean and the last planner system and problem solving is getting more attention at Turner. So we're, we're really focused on uh, the quality of life of the people in the trenches on our jobs. And people are surprised with that. We have a, a program that's called active caring. So there's a mentality that's going to uh, be seen more and more as a part of our culture that, you know, it's an offshoot of the respect for people. And so that's, that's really a lot of the things I do. I mean, our, the things I'm proud uh, of at Turner is we really do not uh, worry about the contract type to apply lean and last plan around. And, uh, you know, those kinds of things are happening in our big data center jobs as well, where we, uh, are applying these lean principles as, as deeply as we possibly can that work for them problem solving, you know, in the right way. And we still jump at solutions. We jump to conclusions and jump to solutions. And so that, that is a big focus for us is uh, to deepen our uh, discipline around better problem solving the five S and, and uh, fishbone diagram getting to root causes. We see a huge growth happening in our company around safety incidents, that uh, there's a deep discipline to do root cause, you know, problem solving uh, with with the full teams, including the trades around uh, incidents. So we see that happening. So I'll, I'm I'm involved in in a lot of that Fantastic. development of other people, uh-huh. and uh, I think one of the other angles is the the trade partners. Right. Uh, I mean we're we're focused a lot on improving supply chain. One of the things I've had a lot of passion about is that trades need to be on their own lean journey. And I see general contractors need to do the same thing in our industry is we have to get all our trades to understand what's in it for them. It's so interesting that um, that you bring that up because you've been working up here in Canada. And I think the, the thing that I have noticed is that by and large owners get that the system that they operate under doesn't give them full value and that they're slowly turning to, you know, what you call as alternative delivery methods. But I, but I try to think of as a more customized model for them because our tendency to take off the shelf contracts, I think really restricts us rather than allows mm-hmm. us to develop mm-hmm. true relational contracts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what I, what I found up here is that up here and by up here, I mean, Canada for those of you that don't know, I'm <laughs> in Canada. 
Um, and that as far as the GCs are concerned, they're just fine. They don't think the system is broken. There's nothing wrong with it. Everybody's making money. Everybody's just having fun. You know, as far as the trades go, until they start to get into bigger jobs and they kind of come to lean themselves. So some of the larger trades like Plan Goop, Modern Niagara, some of the mechanical, electrical mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. folks have really started to think about it. Not so much as design build, which would be great, but really more in terms of how do we get deeply into this? How do we model? How do we leverage modeling and the rest of that? Right. What would you say to a, a GC in Canada in terms of building that supply chain? Because, you know, that's the work that I'm trying to do that mm -hmm. I've done with you guys, as well as with, you know, others trying to kind of create an understanding of how you deliver, for instance, in the IPD model, what that requires of you and of your team. What would you suggest to other contractors in um, mm -hmm. in more conservative markets like Canada that, you know, What's next? Are they missing an opportunity? Yeah. Should they just resist, hold out, stay in the bunker? No, I mean, I think they definitely are missing an, an opportunity. And I think with the, cha the challenges that Canada has with a, with a workforce shrinking and, and, uh, and not attracted to our industry, it, you know, while the work be, continues to increase, right? Well, the, yeah, the, the, yeah. I mean, the number, Toronto has the most cranes in North America, according to the, one of the last studies I looked at. And they've got and so, those, uh, those big tower cranes as well, not just the birds. Yes, yes. <laughs> the ones that lift stuff, not, yeah. not, just eat, not just eat frogs. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? Do the trades like Modern Niagara demand general contractors, you know, on their jobs? You know, because we had tremendous encouragement and influence, you know, from the Southland Industries and the Rosendens and, and all their peers and associates. There's, you know, all of them have said, look, Turner, you better get on the stick or we're not <laughs> going to keep you in our top 10. And so I think it has to happen in both directions, Dick, or okay. I would say in all three directions. Sutter helped you know, with their $6 billion volume, they talked to the supply chain and they made it there in no uncertain terms. We expect you to get really, number one, they said, you must embrace it and you must get good at it. So I don't know if there's an owner association in Canada that could really understand that because we haven't found it yet. We have not found the owner base like you might have in, with the construction user roundtable, for example. Right. And very influential. So who's the construction user roundtable in Canada? I would, I would try to figure out how we shore those people up or uh, the Construction Owner Association of America has uh, Canadian uh, branches as well, because I don't think they really understand the business case for lean like we had done with LCI and the Dodge uh, people. But you have to make it uniquely Canadian. You have to address the uh, cash handling and, and the rule of law uh, for Canada in a manner that the owners are going to see the business case that they're going to have better quality. Uh, right. time, time is still money in Canada as it is in the U.S. It's just Canadian money. It's Canadian money, but it's still valuable. I know, absolutely. And, and, it's, and it's up and, this week. It's up to 82 cents. I think it has to be a multi-pronged approach. That's where we'd love to, uh, to help 
you and our peers in Canada is figuring that all out. Because I think right now there's a concentration underneath the general contractor organization and uh, they're leaving the other parties out of the conversation. I agree with you. I think I think we need to be able to kind of identify what that coterie of owners um, is. And, and sounds like you and I should be making a road trip all over Canada. I I would welcome the opportunity. <laughs> That'd be a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun, George. It's always great to catch up with you, my friend. Thank you for taking so much time. I'm no. sure you're going to uh, leave some of this stuff on the editing floor, but I think it's all it's all gold, silver, and platinum right here. So. Well, thank you. And uh, you had a lot to do with the success of our lean journey, and uh, we thank you for that. Well, I appreciate that. And um, tune in next time, right? Yes, yes. So. I'm I'm ready for part two. Awesome. Thanks, George. All right. Dick. Thanks for your time. Good luck, my friend. Yeah, you too. My Best brother. to the family. Stay safe. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to the Lean Construction Blogs podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us spread the word by sharing, subscribing, or leaving a review on your preferred podcast listening platform. Remember to join us next time as we continue to lower the barriers to applying lean construction and help take your lean journey to the next level. And don't forget to visit the Lean Construction blog to stay up to date on our latest podcast episodes, weekly blog posts, monthly webinars, and upcoming conferences. We hope to see you on the next episode.